Welcome to the Occupational Safety Leadership Podcast, episode number 71, Requirements of ISO 45001. I uh, struggled with the title of this one. I didn't know whether to call it categories, topics. I finally settled on requirements of ISO 45001 because it lays out what you have to do in it. Uh, So I think I captured the title right. Let's just dive right in. So just a little recap from uh, episode 70, in case people had missed that, ISO uh, 45001 is the International Standard for Occupational Health and Safety, and basically a framework for the organization to identify, control, and minimize risks to the health and safety of your folks in the workplace. Um, it follows the standard Plan, Do, Check Act. We will not be covering all the different aspects of Plan, Do, Check Act. Uh, that was... Uh, covered in episode 70 so but just kind of think about you plan something you do something you check on the results and then you act on those results so when we think about the requirements i just kind of thought well let's just look at the table of contents and then we'll we'll call this requirements of iso 45001 some of these we will briefly skim over whereas other ones we will uh, go a little more into, and then in future um, podcasts, we'll sit down and break down each one and really give concrete, specific examples as much as I can without giving away any uh, intellectual property, of course, and all that other stuff then. So let's just talk about um, the requirements of ISO 14,000. The first one is the scope. You have to define the boundaries of what you're going to have for your occupational health and safety management system. So this is super important because there's things that you control and things that you do not control in the workplace. So um, I was helping a uh, place uh, implement this and we sat down and talked about the scope. And one of the things we determined is that they would control only what the company can control. They have, they're, they're a company that outsources maintenance and all that kind of stuff. So when there's a issue, they put in what's called a fix-it ticket, you know, in air quotes, describe the thing and then, you know, something that has to be fixed and all that. It would be really hard to say as part of the, the scope, we also cover what this contractor is doing uh, for maintenance aspects and all that. Because not that you can't say that they have to follow our specs and they got to be safe, of course, and they got all that stuff. It would be very hard to say um, when we say solve it, that they're going to solve it the same way that we would solve it. And that sounds kind of funny, of course, but when you write out a ticket, you're basically saying, hey, the problem is this. You need to fix this. And then it's up to uh, the maintenance people to figure out how to fix it. Certain things are super easy, of course. Obviously, you know, when a filter on a uh, HVAC has to be switched and all that, that's all really easy stuff. But if somebody said there's a leak coming from the water pipe, you have to address this, you know. Well, that, of course, could mean uh, a whole myriad of things out there. So the scope is what's really important to define right from the uh, get-go. Next part is going to be the references. Identify any external standards or documents that you're going to use. And when you think about external standards, um, you can extrapolate into a maintenance manual for HVAC unit. If you're going to have a robot on a bottling um, plant, um, 
for bottling beer, you know, it'll then say after X uh, gallons are through the system, you have to clean the system. Here's how you're going to run your clean, dry air. So uh, also think about when they say standards and documents, they really mean, is there a owner's manual? Is there going to be a manual that the company that you bought things from to uh, make your machinery or anything else, does it does it say you will follow a weekly, uh, monthly maintenance plan or, or words to that effect then? So the third one is terms and definitions. Provide clear definitions of key terms. Fourth is going to be the context of the organization. And this is where we're going to really sit down and talk about uh, how it's going to impact the internal and, and external factors of the uh, management system. Interested parties, legal, there's regulatory requirements and all that kind of stuff then. Um, interested parties, of course, we're starting to see where there's uh, more and more third party um, orgs out there that actually want to see things like how are you protecting your uh, workers? How are you doing these things? Uh, when we look at legal, of course, uh, some companies will actually have a legal department. You know, what what's going to be part of the uh, scope if you have a legal department? That's also going to cover, you know, whether a regulation applies or does not apply. You should have them also involved too at the same time. It really helps you to kind of understand. It also helps to narrow down the uh, scope of things too, because then you can you can you can have a much much better uh, system out there. When we look at five, the leadership and worker participation, this is going to be pretty cut and dry. So basically, how are you going to have um, that leadership commitment? How are you going to have employee involvement out there? Uh, what's your policy going to be? How do you have your organizational roles, responsibility, and authorities? And then how do you go back and make sure that you have participation from the workers? Um, some places will say we have a safety committee and when, some, when, when there's an issue, they bring it up every two weeks and we sit down and we talk about it. And that's better than nothing, of course. But how do you really get input from the workers? Because people have a lot of great ideas, but if, if they've never been asked, some people don't think it's a great idea. They just think, oh, it's, it's something I thought of. I don't think of it as anything special. So go out, ask those questions, and try and get that participation as much as possible. And the one thing that I've seen that really works for me, I can't say it's going to work work for you as equally as well. If you make the workers the owners of, of a lot of these processes, they now have buy-in. It's not some corporate thing that somebody said, I've decided we're doing this. We're going to sit down and we're going to write documents and we're going to, when they are, are the owners, they are the ones that really feel the power of we're going to make this thing work and, and, and not just work, but we're going to make it work for us. Section six, they talk about the planning process. This is where we're going to look at identifying the hazards out there and the risks. What are we going to do for control measures? How do we plan on minimizing these risks? as much as possible. And also, this is where we're going to sit down and talk about our um, objectives and how do we plan to achieve these objectives. Um, and there's a lot of objectives there. I really don't want to get into it. We could have, I mean, not not we could. We will have a whole episode on this on the future. Um, so for now, we're just going to say you're going to 
talk about your objectives and planning and how you're going to achieve these objectives. Section seven is all about support. So this is where we look at the resources, the training, um, competency out there, uh, communication channels. Do you have a document uh, control system out there? Um, really, what's the effectiveness to make an effective operation of the um, management system? So uh, when we look at resources, of course, that also means money and time and effort. You just can't say um, we're going to be safe, but we're not willing to train anybody. We're not willing to set any time aside. Um, we're just going to say that we want you to be safe. And that's that's not giving resources, showing competency, communicate. That's that's just not it. And then finally, documented um, information out there. And that sounds funny, of course. You know, like so I'm going to sit down and I'm going to document how I'm going to well. Yeah, because then if you have a document control system, that also means that the system has to be changed if there's going to be um, if resources are allocated differently in the future. It's also very nice to use as a training tool for follow on people. So I think it would be awesome that once once we got a, a workplace in order and everybody was working, working good and talking good and all that, that nobody ever left. People quit all, all the time. They retire as the uh, economy ebbs and flows. People are laid off, whereas other people were surged and come on. So we have to have a way to go back, to reach back, to say, all right, given the situation that we have, here's exactly how we're operating. Eight, we look at the uh, operations out there. So how are we going to implement the controls that we've already identified. How do we go back also and identify hazards? So in the ideal sense, it would be that when you buy something to install, HVAC unit, that robot for the bottling plant, that before you ever bought those things, you had all of the manuals, you understand how it worked, you had the right requirements already in place. If it had to have uh, clean, dry air to a minus 40 dew point, um, if, is there any um, different voltages? Uh, now that we're uh, a global economy, we see where other people use different voltages out there. So it would be totally awesome if everybody was 100% on the US side. That's just not always right then, you know. How do we go back and manage um, contractors out there contractors um, are typically brought in because the the company does not have the core competency in doing something it could be cleaning out a confined space entry uh, a confined space vessel uh, maybe you're doing a chemical process in there and every six months it has to be down for three or four days for extensive cleaning how how are you going to manage the contractors that you're going to bring in for that some people will try and do it in-house, but um, there's a lot of times where we're running so slim with companies that you, you literally have to bring in um, contractors from the outside world to help you out. Section nine, monitor your performance. So what did we put in place? How do we capture the data and the metrics? How do we, um, how, how do we go back and look and see if we're on the right track? How do we hold people accountable? Um, what if you have, uh, for the sake of argument, you're monitoring the data and you see where one department is the only department that can't get inspections done, they can't get their people trained on time and everything else. Is it a uh, management issue? 
Is it a is it a employee issue? Is it a little bit of both? Is it that um, they just literally don't know about these things? So um, not to give everybody a boring story, but a long time ago, I was setting up a different system, ISO 14001, about 20 years ago. And uh, we set it up and there's metrics and all that. And uh, I uh, talked to a guy and I was like, uh, you know, I, I, I see where you're putting in your metrics you know, late, late every month, it, it's really important that they're in on time so we can analyze our performance. And he fessed up that he had never learned how to operate a computer. So he just kind of came up through the up to the org and nobody had ever bothered to show him how to really operate a computer. So he just knows that when somebody sends it to him, it, it, it has to be done. But he just does. It produces a lot of anxiety when somebody doesn't know how to open up Excel. And they don't know how to save a file. They don't know how to attach a file. They just don't. And it, it can be very anxiety producing. And it's not that they're not doing a great job. Um, we had never gone back to really educate our people if they can even use just everyday basic computer stuff. We just kind of assumed that everybody could. And uh, that was a deficient part on all of our ends. When we look at uh, 10, it's going to talk about improvement. What are the corrective actions that we're going to take to address any non-conformities, recurrence of incidents? It's bad enough that you have an accident or an incident or a near miss, but what happens when you keep having the same one over and over again? It really means that you're not learning and getting better from something that already happened out there. Do we go back and solve for root cause analysis or as I've talked to many uh, many safety people that no matter what, when they go back and they look at this, um, the management chain wants to blame the individual person out there. So um, how do we go back and learn from this? How do we improve? How do we make sure that we don't do the same dumb things over and over again? So that is it for episode 71. This was just a little introduction to the requirements of ISO 45001. And in future ones, we'll talk about the positive aspects. We'll talk about the negative aspects of ISO 45001. And once you get the system up, it's not like there's a negative aspect once the system is up. It's getting the system up that can be a challenge for some workplaces. Then we'll sit down and really break down the categories and say, uh, Here's how we're going to plan. Here's how we're going to operate. And like all things, please keep in mind that what I'm what I'm what I'm saying and what I'm talking about are the things that work work for me. If you think it's going to work for you, awesome. Take it, steal it, all that great great stuff. And if not, maybe what it is is just a starting point. And then always find out something that works for you. So, uh, episode 71 is over. I'd like to thank everybody for joining me today. My name is Dr. David Ayers. Have a safe day.